In last week's talk, I spoke about a tendency that I have, a tendency of my mind, a pattern of thinking and relating to myself and to my life that uh, has been very habitual in my life, which I think is quite similar for uh, many, many people. Uh, this way of thinking that posits the idea that, well, where I am in my life, what my life is about, isn't so good right now. Uh, that where I am, you know, there isn't any possibility for happiness here, and actually I'm unhappy, uh, but that happiness may lay in the future. So this idea uh, that we tend to uh, proliferate or tends to be part of our habitual way of thinking, uh, this way of looking at ourselves and our experience, this notion that happiness is in the future. So you know, this is kind of uh, a way of you know, looking at myself and looking at the world that's been very habitual, and dare I say very painful, that happiness is in the future. That's where happiness lies, is in the future. And, you know, in my life, I've tried to address the unhappiness, the suffering, as the Buddha calls it, the dukkha that I've experienced, that I've been, that I've experienced, that I was experiencing, that I am experiencing. Uh, you know, I put a lot of effort into trying to do something about that. Uh, lots and lots and lots of Dharma practice for 40 years, more than 40 years, uh, almost 40 years, a little bit on and off of therapy, 12-step uh, programs, lots of other stuff. Uh, and again, throughout that process, uh, the pattern of thought that's been prevalent in my mind is that I'm unhappy, but I'll find happiness in the future. And all of this work that I'm putting in will lead me to a place of happiness somewhere down the line, somewhere in the future. If I just keep working and working and working, eventually I'll get to that place of happiness. But it lies somewhere in the future. So, you know, part of what happens, and of course that's very painful, uh, and part of uh, what happens is uh, you know, a disregard for the moment that I'm in, that we're in. Uh, not making an effort to find happiness in the moment that I'm in, uh, the moment that we're in. So again, I think this is you know, a common pattern of thought and, uh, for a lot of us as something to look at uh, you know, we put all of this effort, so much effort into practice, into meditation, put all of this effort into therapy and all the different things that we do, uh, but we don't take action in our lives. We don't take action in our lives. You know, and again, sort of the notion is, I'll do all this work and then at some point I'll be ready to take action in the service of trying to fulfill my wish to be happy, trying to be happy. So we don't take action, yet happiness is only found through taking action. We don't 
do what we need to do to be happy, which is to take action in the present moment. That's the only way that we're going to find happiness. So it becomes a real bind for us, right? Because we're making an effort to find happiness, but we believe that it's in the future. But really the only place we can find it is in the present moment. So, again, I think that we all, uh, you know, it's part of the way that uh, our minds are for many of us, I think, probably pretty much all of us. There's a lot of reasons for that. You know, it's our karma, you know, and, you know, it's the way that uh, we've thought all of our lives. Uh, it's the way that others think, and that rubs off on us, and it's sort of a cultural predilection. One of the real clues that we may uh, that we may have a propensity for this way of thinking and looking at ourselves in the world, uh, one of the real indicators and one of the things to watch out for is uh, the tendency to resentment. So this is often what comes on the heels, if you will, of disregarding the potential for happiness in the present moment and thinking that happiness, so not taking any action, uh, thinking that, well, in the future I'll take action in the service of being happy. Uh, so uh, what tends to arise, and I've certainly seen this in my life, uh, particularly as time went on and I put all this work into the meditation and I put all this work into the therapy and I started to more and more engender resentment. You know, in large part toward others who were doing what I would have liked to have been doing. I was putting all this work into trying to make myself better, or trying to make myself somebody else, and all these other people that I was looking at, ostensibly, you know, at least in my mind, were doing all the things that I wanted to do, but of course I couldn't do them yet, I didn't think, because I wasn't at a place yet where I could do them, I wasn't evolved enough, so I resented them. You know, and this is what we tend to do. So, you know, I mean, everybody has their trip, I mean, for me, one of the things that I always wanted to do was to write, you know. So as uh, I tried to write and, you know, in fits and starts and maybe didn't put the kind of effort or try to look for happiness in doing that uh, over the years, I started to resent other writers. Uh, so, I mean, that kind of tends to be where our resentments go towards people that are kind of doing the things that we want to be doing. Uh, but that, you know, is just one way that our resentment might be. You know, there's very uh, many other ways that we might cultivate resentments. Uh, I mean, a classical one, and you know, and I see it in myself, and you know, seeing it is just so horrifying. You know, it's that resentment uh, of the person who's getting older towards people who are younger. You know, I was like, where did that come from? It's particularly horrifying for me because, uh, you know, I think as a child, you know, without getting too far afield here, you know, I was a victim of my father's resentment towards me. You know, and then now here I am, you know, the apple doesn't far from, too far from the tree, you know. I'm resenting, you know, and I would just start to see, like, oh, look at that young person. But of course, you know, that's coming from a life of inactivity not doing 
a lot of the things that I needed to do or could have done in service of happiness and uh, resenting people who were younger than me that may have that opportunity to do that ostensibly. I mean, a classical form of resentment, you know, in you know, uh, this context, you know, for Dharma students, of course, is the resentment towards the teacher, right? You know, particularly if our practice isn't going quite the way that we want it to go, or our life isn't going the way that we, I mean, I see that in my own mind. My practice isn't going quite the way I want it to go. My life isn't going, I'm not the person that I want to be, so I resent my teacher. It's his fault, right? I mean, that's, that's a, uh, you know, again, not everybody perhaps uh, falls into that pattern of thinking, uh, but that, that can be a really beautiful area of practice, right? Because, I mean, it's so correlated with practice because, you know, if you have a resentment towards the teacher, uh, you know, your resentment is taking place within the context of your spiritual healing, you know, in this place. Uh, so uh, it's kind of a long way of saying, uh, if you talk to me about it, we can really work on it and you can really make some progress in your life in terms of uh, resentment. You know? Most people don't do that. They leave the group at some point. Uh, people who do that, you know, I mean, I've seen some extraordinary, you know, some of the most rewarding for me experiences. I mean, I think of one person, uh, just as an example, who, uh, you know, was kind of struggling in their practice and their life. And, you know, we were sort of, you know, I mean, I, there was a lot of tension between the two of us. And at some point, this person came to me and said, you know, you know I, essentially, I mean, I think they used the word projection, but we talked about, you know, the way that person was resenting me. And, you know, and that person could see that. And we talked about it. And that was a turning point in that person's practice. After that, that person, but that person stayed with it, talked about it, and at that point, their practice just went to a, another level, a quantum leap in their practice. And they, of course, there's two reasons for that. One, of course, is, you know, there's three, really. The dropping of the resentment, the understanding of the mind in working that very important pattern of thinking out in the mind. But also, of course, if you have resentment towards the teacher, your practice can't grow. So, you know, if you, don't, you have to lay that down if you want your practice to grow, at least within this context. I mean, that's basic. So this kind of resentment, uh, Sartre called it one of the, it's one of, it's one of the, it's, it's some of what he was referring to when he talked about bad faith. You know, bad faith, it's kind of a good way to think about it. You know, it's kind of like we have faith that things are going to happen in the future, you know? Uh, and then they don't, and we kind of sour. So that's just something to watch out for in terms of the way our minds are. Uh, and of course, uh, very much in the service of uh, in seeing that kind of resentment, uh, very much in the service of seeing how we're not taking action. We're not doing what we need to do to be happy. 
we're not attending to the moment. We're not attending to the moment. Because at some point, you know, we have to say, enough! You know, it's like at some point in my, you know, I was just like, you know, and of course it's a process, but it's like I've done all this work, you know, with the idea that in the future I'll be happy. It's like, I can't wait any longer. I can't wait any longer. You know, at some point we have to say, you know, I can't wait for the future. I've got to try to find happiness right now. I mean, I would suggest that we say that right now to ourselves. You know, and I kind of talked about this a little bit last week. It's kind of the blessing of aging. You know, you get older and it's like, I can't wait. I really can't wait any longer. I really can't wait any longer. It's like I've been putting off happiness for a long time, but you know what? I don't have that much time left. I better start. This is why the Buddha said the understanding of death is critical. You know, we have to understand the human condition. We have to understand we only have so much time. It's like the old line from Castaneda. You know, we used to, any of you 60s people, we all read Carlos Castaneda, who said, I guess Don Juan said to Castaneda, you know, the problem with you is you think you have time. So I think, you know, we have to kind of question some of the beliefs and some of the ways that we think. Uh, you know, there's sort of this cultural... Uh, notion that we're going to evolve, you know, that we're, we're in a process. You know, the, the title of last week's talk is, you know, happiness is an event. You know, we used to talk you know, when I was in business, you know, it's a process, not an event. Happiness is an event. You know, but we kind of come from this process, you know, which you might call perhaps overgeneralizing, you know, sort of this Darwinistic idea that we're getting, going to get better. We're going to get better. As time goes on, we're going to get better. We're going through a personal evolution or a personal growth. That was another 60s thing, right? That we're in a process of personal growth, that we're going to get better. I mean, Nietzsche talked about this a lot. Nietzsche talked about this a lot. This is a key part of his philosophy. You know, he said, you know, we operate under this assumption that we're going to get better, that there is this personal evolution that we're going to go through by dint of our being human. You know, that eventually, if we keep alive, you know, we're going to get something that we don't yet have. You know, we're going to get to a place or be somebody that we're not quite yet. But as he liked to say, there was nothing to prove that the human mind has evolved or evolves. There's really nothing to prove that. You know, and there's nothing really that shows empirically that the human mind will evolve in terms of its effort to find greater happiness, love, compassion, creativity. We tend to think, oh, we're evolving as human beings because we look at technology. But has technology led to greater happiness? You know, it calls to mind that story that Larry Rosenberg, a well-known Dharma teacher, used to tell. You know, he was one of the first Westerners really to go to Thailand and Burma, and that group of people who went in the '60s, uh, '70s, and meeting you know one of the great 
uh, forest ajans, and uh, I believe it was one of the forest ajans. It might have been one of the Burmese sayadaws, but uh, and uh, you know the forest ajan had been in the forest meditating. It was a great meditation master, and you know on some scale of awakened, uh, but he believed that the earth was flat. <laughs> you know. And Larry was like trying to show him, you know, with probably with mangoes or something, you know, that the earth wasn't flat, you know. And he kept insisting, no, the earth is flat. You know, Larry can finally talk to him and he says, well, you know what, maybe you're right. You know, he said, you know, you know, you Westerners know a lot about all of this science, but has it brought you any more happiness? Are any of you any happier because of all of these things that you've learned? about science and technology, et cetera. You know, Nietzsche used to like to talk about, when he talked about the evolution of the human mind, he used to say, there hasn't been any great, greater accomplishments in the life of the mind and the mental capacity of man and in philosophy, nothing greater than the Greeks. There's nothing greater than Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, you know? Nobody's topped that thousands of years ago. You know, on more contemporary terms, you know, I like to say that, you know, I, I used to think of that, you know, it's like, man, rock and roll isn't what it used to be. It should be getting better. But, you know, it does, it ha nothing has gotten better since the Beatles, you know? The Beatles was the best, you know, there's nothing better than that. There's not, there was nothing better than that. It hasn't evolved. There's still some good stuff, but there's nothing that's ever come out that's been better than the Beatles. Is anybody going to argue with me on that? <laughs> Rolling Stones, they came out at the same time. Nothing has gotten better than that. So our practice is not to become something else or to grow necessarily, to grow into something else, but to become who we are. Our practice is to become who we are. To accept ourselves, our lives, the way things are right now in this moment. To know that this is our lives and this is who we are. And to know that to find happiness, we have to embrace this moment. We have to love this moment. That's what, hap that's what is required in order to know happiness. This is, uh, uh, I'm going to read a little Nietzsche here. Actually, some of his earlier writings, too. Uh, I think he really speaks to this idea here. He says, what if some day or night a demon were to steal after you into your loneliest loneliness? I love that. What if a demon were to steal after you into your lonely, loneliest loneliness and say to you, this life, as you now live it and have lived it, you will have to live once more and innumerable times more. And there will be nothing new in it, but every pain and every joy and every thought and sigh must return to you, all in the same succession and sequence, even this spider and this moonlight between the trees, and even this moment and I myself. The eternal hourglass of existence is turned over again and again, and you with it. Would you not throw down yourself and gnash your teeth and curse the demon who spoke this? Or 
Have you once experienced a tremendous moment when you would have answered him, you're a God and never have I heard anything more divine. If this thought were to gain possession of you, it would change you as you are, or perhaps crush you. The question in each and every thing, do you want this once more and innumerable times more, would lie upon your actions as the greatest weight. Or how well disposed would you have to become to yourself and to your life to crave nothing more fervently than this ultimate eternal confirmation? I mean, to me, that you know, really says it all. You know? It's like, you were to say, well, this is it. This is the only moment of your life. Your life is just, just going to be this moment again and again and again. What would you do? Well, you'd say, well, this is it. I better bring everything I have to this moment. Or you would gnash your teeth and go crazy. And that's sort of where we are, you know? I mean, we're, we're somewhere along that continuum. Yeah, that's why he, he called that passage, the, that aphorism, he wrote aphorisms, the greatest weight. You know, can we love our lives just the way it is right now, in this moment? Can we love ourselves just the way we are in this moment and make the most of it? That's what we're asked to do in this practice. You know, when we understand that this is it, this is it. You know, this moment bears weight. This moment is what we focus on. This is where we put our effort. This moment is where we put our heart. We don't wait for things to get better. Because we know they're not going to get any better. don't try to become different, we try to become who we are. I mean, this is what we're really developing skills to do, you know, to become who we are. You know, we're developing skills so that we stop looking for happiness in the future and stop trying to get what we don't have and to take what we have and to take this minute, moment and make the most of it. That's what the practice is all about. That's what these skills, and these skills we're learning, the skills of heedlessness, heedfulness, excuse me, and skillful intention. That's what they're all about. That's why the Buddha said, his last words, continue to be heedful. How are, which basically means, what are you doing right now? What are you doing right now in this moment? Is what you're doing in this moment in the service of making the most out of this moment that you have to live right now? You know, it's an interesting thing because, I mean, to a large extent, and I talk about this all the time, I mean, the skills that we're learning are not rocket science. You know, we just don't know how to apply them the right way sometimes, right? You know, we're not going to be heedful of this moment and ask those questions from moment to moment if we think that happiness is in the future. That's the problem. So we leave those skills. You know, I'll use those skills some other time. But we can all do this. You know, we can all do this. A lot of it, of course, is that we don't believe that we can, and we don't have confidence in ourselves. So 
So this is our practice, you know, to understand that this moment is what we focus on. This is where we put our effort. This is where we put our heart. This is what we bring our heart to. We let our light shine right now, right now, not tomorrow. Our practice is not about getting better. It's not about getting something that we don't have. I mean, that's kind of what we wish for, right? You know? I mean, we wish for that. I need to get something that I don't have or become somebody that I'm not. In part, we believe that because you know, we don't think that we're good enough. This is why, you know, the first thing the Buddha does is start to help you start to recognize your goodness. So hard for us. First thing I teach in the beginner's class, recognize your goodness. First thing the Buddha taught, recognize your goodness. We think we don't have what we need, but we have everything we need inside of ourselves everything that we need inside of ourselves. Wisdom, compassion is all inside of ourselves. It's been there since the moment we were born and it hasn't changed at all. That doesn't change. You can't, that wisdom that we have inside, that innate wisdom, the citta, the wisdom of the heart, those qualities of love and compassion aren't going to get any better. They're already so extraordinary that they couldn't, we don't need them to get any better. And, you know, they're the same that the Buddha had and Plato had and Socrates had. They use them a little bit more than we did. We're too busy on the cell phone because that's where we look for progress. When trying to develop an understanding that the earth isn't flat. So this practice is becoming who you are, taking what you have inside your wisdom, your heart, qualities of love and compassion. We're developing the skill to do that. Practice is becoming, about becoming who you are, making the most of your life right now, in this moment, embracing this moment, bringing our heart to this moment, right now. You know, if if you're saying to yourself, like, most of us probably are. This sounds really good. I'll start doing this tomorrow. <laughs> you know, we're already lost. I'll start doing this next week. You have to start right now. Happiness is found in becoming who you are right now in this moment. 